is Buy-In, a valuation podcast from Horn Healthcare. What if I had told you in January that much of the way you value a healthcare transaction would change by June? What will fair market value and commercial reasonableness look like in a post-COVID world? I'm Rudd Blumentritt from Horn Healthcare, and today on Buy-In, our guest is healthcare attorney Bob Homchick, a partner at Davis Wright Tremaine in Seattle, Washington. You may know Bob from the American Health Lawyers Association, where he has been very active in leadership over the years, or you may have heard him talking Stark Law on recent podcasts and webinars. We're happy to have Bob here today to answer and ask a few questions. Bob, thanks for joining us. Good to be here. Thanks, Red. So I'm really curious to find out what challenges does a post-COVID world create for health lawyers as they approach healthcare transactions? I think there are a range of problems. Our clients face challenges. Obviously, the uh, health lawyers that represent them face echo those. Some clients are really in a hurry, whether that's because of financial considerations or lack of cash flow or whatever. But you will certainly, I think, if you have a a range of clients that you're representing and looking at uh, the healthcare transaction landscape, you're going to find some people really, really pressing for a quick deal, a quick close. And on the other hand, clients are still reeling from sort of limited resources. The decline in high margin elective surgeries and elective procedures and and so forth, the just overall poor financial performance in the industry and the economy as a whole means that there's less bandwidth, fewer resources to focus on healthcare transactions and really just volatile environment all the way around. And that may, you know, is challenging. I think you're going to see deals start and stop, probably rush to judgment or rush to closure a little bit too fast. And in the context of all of this, I think, you know, what is post-COVID? What does it look like? I don't think the operating history over the past few months is predictive or it, it's not normal. And whether or not the operating history of a particular service line or particular enterprise really during the COVID-19 national health emergency, whether that uh, will continue or whether you will return to pre-COVID operational performance metrics, I think is really an open question. And service demand has been skewed, so there's just a, a lot of uncertainty. Another challenge, I think, for almost everyone in the industry is that the operating history over the last few months is just not predictive. I mean, this has been an unprecedented uh, economic crisis in the country, and healthcare providers have been hit particularly hard. All of the high-margin elective surgeries and the like have been uh, suspended or postponed. The cash flow issues for many of my clients have been significant. So, The past few months and what's happened in terms of demand, cash flow, everything else, not normal, not predictive. And to my mind, it is not clear when, if ever, we return to uh, a pre-COVID predictive metrics. So that really leads me to a question to you, Red, which is, you know, given this volatility in the market and the, the strange 
behavior of the demand curve, everything else. What challenges are valuation uh, firms facing in you know this post-COVID or uh, during COVID crisis? Bob, that's a great question. And I think we're already seeing several things that are already impacting the valuation process. I think to sort of what you were saying, I think one of the first things we have to understand is that we're in a situation where pre-pandemic data in many ways is obsolete and reliable post-pandemic data doesn't actually exist yet and may not exist for quite some time. Obviously, historical data is one of the first places a evaluator looks to when valuing most assets or services. So not having reliable historical data represents a, a departure from standard valuation practice. Another issue is determining how much, if any, weight to put on any client prepared financial projections, particularly those that were developed prior to March 2020. Because of this, we are increasing the dialogue with our clients on how COVID might impact operations in the near term, say next 12 to 24 months. We're also leaning towards using a DCF method much more so than a capitalization of earnings method because we believe it much better models the COVID impacts directly. We're also not necessarily defaulting to five-year projections either, but rather giving consideration to what period of time is most applicable to the subject entity outlook and and operations. Likewise, uh, pre and post-COVID market transaction data will look vastly different. And of course, as we sit here today, uh, and in the near term, we won't have transaction data available that represents the market post-COVID. And as I mentioned, it, it could be actually quite some time before we start to see published data that catches up to the market. And that could be months and years, uh, if ever, which will likely make the application of the guideline transaction method, which relies on market transaction data, difficult or in some cases impossible. Of course, we'll, we'll evaluate the application of the market approach on a case-by-case basis, just like always, but with the understanding of the added complexity that COVID has brought to the marketplace and the availability of, of re- reliable benchmarks. Beyond specific methodology, there are several new challenges created by the public health emergency, and I'll just try to hit on a few of the bigger ones that, that we're running into and starting to see in our practice, at least in the near to medium term, evaluators will need to be much more diligent around assessing likelihood that an enterprise is in fact going to continue operating as a going concern. While we've obviously always done this, we believe that right now and for the foreseeable future, obviously there's a heightened concern about business failure. We're also taking a much closer look at balance sheets for asset impairment and off balance sheet liabilities. For example, we may not be able to rely on historical collection rates in order to determine if the the value of booked AR is reasonable. Payer mix is another area of of concern from a valuation perspective. We're discussing the likelihood of a massive payer mix shift given the spike in unemployment. And, And typically we don't see large shifts in payer mix as part of the valuation process, but we do expect to see this for the foreseeable future. We're also educating clients on the importance of our valuation date and that valuations of the same company, but on different dates may have very different values in the current environment. And those variances could be significant. We've also seen issues with valuations that were performed pre-COVID on deals that were not finalized and and still aren't finalized post-COVID 
that are now going to be revisited by the party. So that's something that's, that's certainly unique. Of course, one of the biggest questions with valuation surrounds the projections of what the recovery period might look like for many entities, at least in the near to medium term. You know, what does the ramp up look like? Is it, is it a sharp V? We've you know, heard the term swoosh. Or is it going to be something more protracted? We're also modeling the impact of various stimulus programs. If the subject entity participated in PPP or, or similar funds, we're having to, to work that into the analysis as well. Projecting volume uh, is another variable that's now much more difficult. We know that in many cases, there is a backlog of patients for what are concern, being called elective procedures. But will they show up? Do they still have insurance or ability to pay? Will they go to the hospital or will they choose to go to an ASC? These, these unknowns complicate the ability to project future volume. And then another a large area of uncertainty lies around the concepts of fair market value and commercial reasonableness themselves. We may find that in some markets and situations, the range of fair market value may have shifted. Likewise, what may have been considered commercially reasonable may have changed as well. There are also unknowns around things such as what happens when the stark fair market value waivers are lifted, as well as what will happen with the finalization of the stark value-based care exceptions. You know, pre-COVID, we expected those, uh, if not by the election, maybe by the end of the year, but that seems to be off the table as well. And when, when that's going to happen is more of an unknown than ever. After the fair market value waivers expire, will physician compensation arrangements established during the pandemic be difficult to roll back? How will fair market value be determined in those situations? It's always difficult to take compensation back from a physician. So all of that said, of course, no one has a crystal ball. I think valuators will, will just have to do what we've always done, which is gather good information or the best available information and make reasonable assumptions and document the basis of those decisions. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with Bob to discuss more. Challenging times in looking at my clients now, they are operating in a world of temporary waivers around conditions of participation, coverage, and regulatory requirements. You mentioned the Stark Blanket waivers. You know, a perfect example there. There are a range of financial arrangements with physicians and, and others that can be put in place, but once the national emergency ends, the waiver ends, at least that's CMS's position today. And what what have my clients done to, one, to document what is currently in place, but then to address the end of the waivers and what impact will that have on both their relationships with the physicians, their ability to maintain staff and deliver services? These are These are all interesting questions, but it's just such a moving target. So I, I'm curious, I'm, you know, one of the areas that that I'm concerned about in transactions now that is maybe kind of a, a subpart is that almost everyone has benefited from either the CARES Act or, you know, FEMA or other uh, federal funding, uh, PPP loans, and, you know, take, pick your poison. But Along with all of that financial support, 
came some very onerous terms and conditions, uh, documentation requirements, restrictions on use. And as we as you go into a transaction, that's certainly an area of due diligence. The, if you are the acquiring party, did the target appropriately document and, you know, and appropriately use the federal support funds that it received? And I think that's a very valid question. And we're actually on a conversation with a client yesterday where that very question came up as part of the scoping of that valuation. And it's a multi-entity healthcare business that has a health system and a non-health system ownership that they're looking to divest. The health system's looking to purchase. And that entity has received sizable uh, stimulus funds. And one of the questions, and it's getting a little bit contentious, um, it's a little one of those situations where it's a little challenging because we're having difficulty getting both parties in the same conversation. So we end up having one conversation with one party and then a, a separate conversation with the other party. And there seems to already be a, a big question about the use of those funds and how some of those funds may have already been utilized or distributed and then how that's going to have an impact on the value. So I think that's, that's a, that's a question that's going to continue to come up part of the, the valuation process itself from a projection standpoint, that's going to come into play. You know, how are those funds going to be used? What are, what are some of the restrictions there? What are the, the pitfalls associated with the, the proper use of those funds? And then make sure that that gets modeled out properly in any type of cash flow projection that we do that obviously will ultimately end up being used to determine the value of that entity. So I think your question is spot on. I think it's certainly something that we're going to have to wrestle with. In fact, we already seem to be. So, Red, the other thing that I'm curious what your uh, your valuation folks are dealing with is this, you know, these rapid or dramatic swings in financial performance that prompted by COVID-19. And, you know, a lot of it's downside. Health systems have, you know, unprecedented red ink. But there's also some upside if you look at folks uh, focused on telehealth, for example. What are you doing with that? How How are you trying to normalize or deal with that data? I think that's a great question. I think the first point that needs to be made is that we're finding that COVID is not impacting all healthcare business the same way, which is what you alluded to. And in fact, we're seeing it really depends on the business. We've actually seen some healthcare businesses with virtually no disruption at all, believe it or not. Some healthcare businesses were able to strategically pivot and avoid lost volume. Others adapted quickly to avoid disruption. So I do think, however, you know, those businesses are probably the exception rather than the norm. I do think, however, it does illustrate the need to avoid make, making any broad assumptions as we go into valuation process. And as with anything in valuation, it's always a facts and circumstances uh, driven process. On the other end of that spectrum are situations for which the landscape may be so altered and the financial future so unclear that there may not be sufficient data to even determine fair market value or that the analysis is so speculative as to be unreliable. What do you do with that? I mean, you know, I've got my client really wants to buy brand X ASC and its operating history is so spotty or so screwy a technical term, um, <laughs> that uh, you really, you, there's no predictive. So 
I have to pay fair market value, one, for stark or anti-kickback reasons, two, because I, maybe I'm an exempt organization. What do I do if I can't get a fair market value? You know, and that's, it, it, it's not that we haven't seen those kind of situations before. Uh, I think I think what we'll see is uh, obviously post-COVID, we'll see a lot more of that. And I think the way, the best way to handle that is the way we've handled it in the past. And that, I think the probably best way to, is to address, you know, those financial swings and those uncertainty uh, about the future is by running alternate scenarios and then coupling those with appropriate risk assignment. And then once you have, uh, and, you know, I've seen uh, as many as five or six at times where you run these different scenarios, make different assumptions. And again, sometimes it's hard to even get it to that, but you have to work with, with what you've got. I, I think you can use that to then distill that into some type of range of value. Obviously, this requires additional modeling than would, would normally be necessary, but I think that that process is probably the most likely uh, best way to mitigate the inherent uncertainty and capture, you know, as best possible value in this environment. It does seem to me that you're asking for, or not that you personally are doing this, but when you're running five different scenarios, and they're one may be more likely than another, but you're going to end up with vastly different views of the world and vastly different arguments being made about how much should be paid for a particular enterprise. The you know, less comfort around what actually is fair market value, but also I would think some really, really contentious negotiations. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think more so than, than we've, we've ever seen before, just because of the uncertainty, the, the lack of historical ability to rely on historical data, the lack of uh, reliable benchmark data, all of those things are going to create an environment that we really haven't ever seen before. Obviously, we've seen elements of that in the past in different situations, but to have all of those things consistently impacting the process will be, you know, uncharted waters. Well, Bob, that brings us to the end of our time for episode one. Thanks so much for your insight. Stay tuned for part two coming soon. Thank you for listening to Buy-In, a podcast from Horn Healthcare. Buy-In is produced by Horn LLP. Stay tuned for more episodes coming soon on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. For more about Horn, visit hornllp.com.